Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Yeah, well, a series on joy because someone at the end of last year said that we needed the joy of the Lord to be our strength in 2020 which meant that we had a warning that we needed to be strong this year. So um, choose joy. Good morning. Hello, people here. It's so good to see you. I've said that to you before privately that, you know, you, are, you, know, you know who I, my favourite is, you and the people at home, but don't tell the people at home that. Good morning, everyone, and good morning, everyone at home. Honestly, please interact, continue to interact with us. We're uh, glad that you're with us today. Wherever you're joining from, make sure you say g'day and uh, grab your Bibles if you have one at home, and uh, it'll be great for you to read along with me. We do have the words or the uh, scriptures on the screen as we read today, but uh, for those of you who uh, follow me on social media, you'll see I posted what I thought was a really cool article this week by a university staff worker. It used to be uh, a guy that leads a, a group at, at Perth University that I used to be pre president of at Flinders when I was there 20 years ago. <laughs> and um, it's an evangelical group. And he just wrote an article about the importance of having a Bible in paper rather than on a screen. And there's a few things that he wrote there. But one of the things was that the smaller our screens get, the less scripture we see at times uh, doesn't help us see the bigger context picture. And so while it's great that we have technology like this, we can read on the screen, and I like that because we can see the words while I'm speaking. You know, I'm not pulling everything out of my th thumb, the head. Yes, but, um, but seeing something on the, the page, the bigger the sheet, the more you see oh, that word appears five times there. Oh, that right, that thought goes into that thought. It helps you to see context. And so I'm going to try to read from my paper Bible this morning. If you have a paper Bible, please open it because there's nothing a pastor likes more than hearing that sound. Of rustling, rustling pages. Rustle away. Rustle. Uh, let's go. So in June and July, we did, we began a series for the winter months called Choose Joy. Uh, in the first week of that, in kicking off this month in June, we started the series in Acts 16. It doesn't make sense to talk about the Philippian letter unless you first look at the people that it's written to. Adur. This is the whole thing of context. And so I think that almost any series of an epistle should start in the book of Acts because you're looking at who those people were in real life that then the letter is written back to 10 or 11 years after the fact. Okay, So we looked at Acts 16 and we looked at Paul's ministry there and about how he modelled righteousness, peace and joy to them. The, the jail-shaking story, Okay, the slave girl... Uh, they cast a demon out of and etc etc all those stories are there in Acts chapter 16 and the second week we looked at praying with joy in the first slab of scripture uh, where the word joy is first mentioned it's in the context of prayer he said I always pray with joy and so in week two we looked at some hints and tips around how we can pray with joy uh, if something's worth doing it's worth doing joyfully and prayer is one of those things if you're not praying joyfully a good part of the time, then you're not doing it right, okay? There's joy, interacting with God should be a happy experience. Interacting with God should be a happy experience. Okay, and I, I, I told you, I think I might have said this, but there's a, there's a few books in the Christian world that I've never read, but the title 
sticks with me. And Benny Johnson, Bill Johnson's wife in Redding, California, wrote a book called The Happy Intercessor. And the whole thrust of that book is simply that the interceding community, the praying community, shouldn't be the morbid, depressed, I've got the weight of the prophetic world on my shoulders people. They should be the happiest people on the planet because they're engaging with God the most, you know. And while at times we do carry a burden for people, and particularly those of you who are are sensitive, emotional types, you, you sometimes wear the pain of other people. People who know how to pray with joy, it's because you take that burden to Christ, you take it to the throne, and you come out a happier person than when you went in, right? So happy people, praying people are a happy people. We pray with joy. The third week, we had a guest here from Perth, live on the screen, as it were, from a Roman cell. Uh, Tony I spoke last week about uh, persevering in joy and not allowing circumstances to rob us of our joy. Today, part four, I have the privilege of continuing on the last bit of the first chapter of Philippians and moving into chapter 2 which has some of my favorite scripture in the whole Bible in Philippians chapter 2 and while the whole book of Philippians in many ways is the preacher's paradise because it has a lot of great one-liners that for the, the preaching types that just like to have one verse and do a whole message on that and there's certainly room for that uh, there's a whole lot of great one-liners uh, I certainly, my type of bent is, listen, every one-liner has its place in a body of thought. And so I'm going to read the whole passage that we're looking at today. In some senses, it's going to be classic Chad. I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to make some teaching comments, and that's where I'm comfortable. And then I'm going to slip into an uncomfortable zone at the end. And maybe we'll turn the cameras off for this. But I'm going to try to do that thing where I talk from the heart. I need to build myself up for that, so we'll get to that later, because that uh, isn't my place of biggest comfort. Anyway, so let's go. Philippians chapter 1, and my portion today I'm reading from verse 27. Holy Spirit, we thank you, whether we're at home or here in this facility, uh, we are your church, gathered together. And today, as the world, uh, as the globe turns and the sun rises, as it were, over the planet, multiple millions of people are going to be gathering like we are. They're going to be with faces on screens, gathering together in small groups. They're going to be opening the scriptures that you have blessed us with and encountering the living God uh, through his living word. And so today, living spirit, we pray that you would take what is written and make it alive to our hearts and our minds today. We are certainly open to that. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for that ministry. Uh, You are the voice within Chad's voice today. uh, And uh, let... (laughs) voice within the voice that his voice be. yeah i'll think about that later either way we want to hear you today and so we open our hearts to you amen <laughs> anyway if i was writing that down it would have had far more thought put into it before you press click okay verse 27 here you go whatever happens whatever happens there's your memory verse whatever 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 happens, says the man writing in prison, says the man writing under house arrest, not knowing what's going to happen, says a man writing in a season of limbo when he's stuck in a house cell, like Tony explained last week, uh, about to go on a court case to the highest court in the known world at the time where the emperor at the time was a gentleman by the name of Nero. With that in mind, whatever happens, he says, whatever happens, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
This is like a personal responsibility type statement, isn't it? Whatever you see on the TV, whatever happens in the world around you, you make sure you conduct yourself. Conduct yourself and do so in a manner worthy of the gospel. The, the Greek there, manner worthy, um, has connotations of citizenship. It's a very Roman thought because he's in Rome and citizenship of Rome was a big thing. He was a citizen of Rome. And so the Greek there actually has that implication. Conduct yourselves as, as per a citizen, as a citizen, as, a, as a citizen would. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I only hear about you on email, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. The Greek word there for striving together is athleo, like athletics. Okay, so it really does have connotation of a team uh, working together like athletes. We are working together to achieve a common goal. And this whole uh, thing of unity is a thread that goes all the way through the Philippian letter. We said at our introduction, there are a number of different themes or motifs through the book of Philippians. Joy is one of them, mentioned 16 times through the letter. The gospel is one over and over again. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Partnership is one that's going to come up a lot today. Uh, but partnership specifically here has to do with unity. There's a he is, is urging them throughout the letter and later he gets very specific. He mentions two ladies by name and says, Oi, you two, make sure you two get on well together. <laughs> so he, he has this broad theme of unity and then hones it into individuals. You conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And part of the way we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel is striving together as one. And that takes a striving. That takes a standing alongside and an athletic discipline. Do you remember that last series we did on timothy soldier athlete farmer do you remember that i did a mini series you weren't here for it okay you were at home for it but soldier athlete farmer and the picture of the athlete competing to win the prize well this picture is striving is ath athletics together you're a, you are one team moving together for the faith of the gospel that's who the church is continues verse 28 without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So this is a competition. There's obviously people against the Philippian church here. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now here, ten years later, that I still have. Philippians is a bit dubious. We don't really know what kind of persecution this church was going through because remember when Paul left the town, he the earthquake happened, the jailer got saved, and then he said, I'm not going anywhere until the magistrate walks me out. He got walked out of the city, and we never hear anything again about Philippi. So we don't know who the opposition they had was coming from. As you read through the book of Acts, it's generally either coming from the Jewish people who were like the old covenant religious community that were like opposing Jesus because it threatened them, or the Roman people. But at this stage in history, the Romans didn't really care about Christians at all. They were just a little, uh, little group. So we're not exactly sure who this persecution is coming from. Paul's, of course, was coming from his own brotherhood. 
And so it's possible, although the Jewish community wasn't big in Philippi, it's possible it was coming from either of those two areas. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. The point is they had some opposition that was resisting them as a team working together. And he said, listen, you check the runs on the board. Okay, you guys are destined to win. So keep working together as a team. This is all part of it. Struggling together, facing opposition, facing restriction is a part of life. And that's a part of life serving Jesus. Get over it. Get on with it. Chapter 2. Therefore, <laughs> therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, do you? If you have any comfort from having received his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then be one in spirit and one in mind. Don't do anything. And if selfish ambition or vain conceit, but instead humbly value others above yourself not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of other people. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Having just told them to contend together and be unified, he now tells them how to do that. How is it possible to tune a hundred pianos, or in this case today, 60-ish, how do you tune 60 instruments to the same key? How do you make sure that all of them are playing to the same tone and the same key? You all go according to the one tuning fork. You, you don't tune one piano to the one next to it, to the one next to it, to the one next to it, to the one next to it. No offense to the Chinese, but Chinese whispers means by the time it gets over here to Maureen, they're going to sound very different. And the difference, not a good difference, you take the one tuning fork and you go around and you tune each to that one tuning fork. And this is Christ. He's saying, listen, you guys want to be unified. This is how you do it. Get your eyes fixed on Jesus. Every one of you, every one of us, get our eyes fixed on Jesus. And there's two aspects of who Jesus is in this sort of picture here. Number one, it's what Jesus has done for us. And then number two, what Jesus demonstrated to us as the God-man, as a righteous man. And this is the pattern that Paul always goes on. When he encourages good behavior, okay, or right living, it always starts by saying, look at Jesus and what he's done for you. Look at Jesus and what he's done. Consider Jesus. Have you, have you got comfort from his love? He gave you love. Do you have unity with him? Yes, you do. He's done this for you. Therefore, consider his example and live in a life worthy of that because he's done this for you he's demonstrated this for you therefore you can now do the same okay so this is the whole the whole thing with ephesians you know where it says ephesians 4 verse 1 therefore live this way it all comes from three chapters of paul saying because this is what jesus has done for you it's never uh your your um, identity precedes activity so it's always here's the activity but it's only based on what jesus has done for you first and your identity. When he writes to the Corinthians who are fornicating and getting drunk at communion and worshipping false gods and being divisive, okay, he starts the letter by saying, you are saints and you are sons of God. That's who you are. Because Jesus has come to you in the gospel. That's who you are. Now on the basis of that foundation, please adjust the way you live because you're not being true to you. 
Okay, the same with Romans. Therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Romans 12 is in light of everything he's just said in the previous 11 chapters. He's glorified you. He's chosen you. He's elected you. He's selected you. He's justified you. He's sanctified you. He's done all this for you. Therefore, get on with it. You know? Therefore, because of what he's done and because what he's demonstrated, you also now can do the same. And so it's a similar thing here when he's saying, listen, God has done this for you. You're united in him. You, you've, you've shared comfort from his love. In that knowledge, now look at Jesus. And it's on that, those two bases. This is what grace is, what he's done for us and how he's empowered us. Okay? On this basis, now live out what he's done for you. That's kind of, that makes sense, doesn't it? Surely. And so he's asking them, listen, be unified. But I'm not telling you to, to do something you can't do. It's easy to be unified, actually. Just look at Jesus. And really look at Jesus. Understand what he's done for you. Look back in the past as to what he has done. And look at the example he set for us, knowing that that's the image I've been created. I am created in. Not I will one day be like, more like him. No, no, no. I am like him now. Okay, I am like him now. I just need to live that way and give that some of my focus and my attention. So in your relationships with one another, he says, have the same attitude as Jesus. Verse 6. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. In Greek? Yeah, okay. Because it's a poem, you see. So, it's a, so in your Bibles, because when you've got your paper Bible, right, you'll see that this whole passage here is indented because the editors or the translators believe it's a song or a poem. Uh, whether Paul wrote it or not, it's an issue of debate, but it goes something like this. Christ Jesus who was in very nature God, did not consider that equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death of a worse kind, death of the cross. And therefore, of course, God has exalted him to the highest place and has given him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue on heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a beautiful song. Um, Matt and uh, Matt shared, asked us as musos to share the other night uh, what song we might have that's sort of recurring around in our heads. You know, what, what, sort of, what sort of song are you mulling on lately? And it would seem that this is what Paul's doing. He's writing to them. He's saying, look, be unified, be humble, be like Jesus. And as he's writing, this, this favorite song that's in his head just sort of comes out. And this is what we call the hymn, some people call the, the hymn, the hymn of Christ. It is the centerpiece of his epistle where he encourages his community to look to Jesus, the servant king, who forfeited his privileges and relinquished his rights for the sake of others. Aren't you glad that Jesus did that for us? We serve the servant king, the one who relinquished his rights forfeited his privileges for the sake of other people. And Paul's saying, I want you to be like that. Be like Christ, because that is the key 
to being a unified community that stands in the face of adversity. I think many of us are parents here and you know there's something about becoming a parent that you know you have given your life to now relinquish a whole lot of rights and privileges sleep's one of them isn't that right guys in the toddler room relinquishing your rights for the sake of other people and jesus chose to do that and he did it for joy for the joy set before him but as gethsemane shows us there was pain in that process. There was pain to go, look, I've got rights and privileges and I'm going to let them go as he made himself a servant. That is a, a powerful thing. And this is what Paul wants this church's focus to be on. Verse 12. Let's keep going. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence when I've been with you, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you think we should comment on that verse? We'll just move on. Continue to work on, continue to work for, and what does it say? Continue, sorry. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a verse that elicits a lot of discussion because particularly from people from heavily Protestant backgrounds in the evangelical world, as soon as you see work and salvation in one verse, it's like, ding, alert, 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 you know, let's pay attention to this. But all jokes aside, let's be very clear, not work for your salvation, not work at your salvation, but work out your salvation. It's, it's a word that Paul uses about 20 times in his epistles. It just means manifest. It just means demonstrate. It's like let your light shine. Let it, you know, you work out can also be outwork. Outwork your salvation. You know, you've been given something. Now outwork it. Work it out and do so with fear and trembling. Well, that's an interesting phrase. But what, what does that look like? Well, if you're reading the Old Testament through with me before, if you've done that or you're doing it now, the word fear and trembling is found a number of times through the scriptures and generally, and Moses introduced this, it means the absolute terror that would grip a pagan community when they hear of how awesome God is. It would be gripped with dread and terror. David in his Psalms uses it when he was faced with death and the dread of dying faced him. He says this in, uh, what is it, Psalm, I've written it down here somewhere. Psalm 55, he said, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death had fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away from this and be at rest. So here this Old Testament picture of fear and trembling being this terrible, dreadful, horrible thing that you just want to get away from. And so how can Paul, in the letter that's supposed to be all about joy... And rejoicing in your salvation, how can he say, now work it out with dread and horror and fear and trembling? How does that work? Come back next week, I think. And uh, context, context. Well, the Old Testament talks about it that way. But the first time we see the phrase fear and trembling used in the New Testament, it's in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus is walking in a crowd and there's this woman who's had a bleeding problem for 12 years. And she reckons, if I could just touch him, 
I'm going to be healed. She, she hopes for that. She's heard of this awesome miracle worker that heals people that doesn't deserve it. She reaches through the crowd. She pushes through. She touches him. And as soon as she touches him, Jesus felt power leave him. And it said as soon as she touched him, she knew that she was healed. There was obviously some, whatever her physical condition was, she knew, bam, right now, I'm instantly healed after 12 years of spending all that she had on doctors. And she was there. And I don't know the emotion. I don't know how many of you have experienced a miracle like that. But how many of you know that would have been a pretty exhilarating feeling and it says when jesus turned around and was like whoa something happened to me there who touched me who was that who pulled on that miracle power just then and it says this woman came up to him when with fear and trembling she said it was me now was she in dread of a jesus who just healed her was she did she come to him in horror that this terrible person would do something bad to her, having been the one that just healed her? Or is this the picture, like some of you have seen on YouTube, one of my favorite viral videos from about 11 years ago. This is this 29-year-old girl, tattoo sleeve on the arms, kind of a classic picture, 25 million views, I think it's got. She was born deaf. And after 29 years, she's sitting in the office of a nurse putting a ocular implant, is that how? Cochlear, Cochlear implant in her ear and for the first time in her life she hears that lady speak and the moment that thing is turned on and she hears first time in 29 years she just starts trembling she starts shaking she starts crying she covers her mouth she's trying to hold herself together because of the exhilarating feeling of this modern day miracle of having never for all my life i've never i find it in an instant being released and you just see this overwhelming sense of emotion and that's how i picture this woman this woman's being healed she's had an incredible thing done for her all of a sudden she is gripped with this what is going on this is this it's real it's real it's real she's shaking she's trembling she's in fear she's never been this way before and in that sense of exhilaration and joy overwhelm that is the fear and the trembling that she experienced when she came to jesus and she said it was me it was me i don't the one you healed me that's a new testament example of fear and trembling of having been so overwhelmed with exhilaration of, of a grace that's been given to me that I did not deserve, a Jesus who's done far beyond what anyone else could do. And I wonder if that's what Paul had in mind when he said, you've been given a salvation. It should overwhelm you. There should be this sense of exhilaration and trembling and fear of, I don't know what this, I don't really know what this means. It's amazing. It's amazing. And he said, now in that sort of state, take that encounter and work it out work out your salvation i've given you something that's incredible how do i do how do i listen now how do i speak this this deaf woman must have thought what do i do now work it out you've got it now now work it out take that fear and trembling take that great exhilaration that you have and work out that incredible gift that you've been given work out your salvation with fear and trembling not for dread and horror but a fear of a trembling of an experience that is so good. Is this too good to be true? Or is this so good? Because it is true. We keep reading. Verse, what are we up to? Fear and trembling. Verse 13. For it is God who works. That's just my theory anyway. You can take it or leave it. Okay? For it is God who works in you 
to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This same God that has come to you, this same God that has done something for you, is now the same God that is in you. So as I'm calling you to live out Christ's likeness, as I'm calling you to humble yourself, to look at Jesus, to be like him, I'm also encouraging you to say, you've got the goods. You've got what it takes on the inside of you. Because it is God himself who lives in you to fulfill this will, to give you that desire and to work that out of you. This same empowering presence that you had when God came to you at salvation is something not that is out there, but is something that is right in here. God, It is God who is working in you. God in us. Not just God with us. God with us here. God in us. That is an incredible reality, isn't it? Come on, are we being real here? Is this... Two weeks ago, I encouraged you to pray by getting a, going up and getting a heavenly perspective, yeah? rising up in prayer so you can look down at your situation. It is important sometimes to rise up in prayer. But there's another powerful way to pray. And it's not rising up, it's dropping down. And sometimes the most clear voice, voices I've heard of God, we, we decided to sell a house because of the drop down. <laughs> just sitting in my pergola once, asking God a question. And it wasn't rising up in prayer, it was just dropping down. Because God's not only up there, he's right here. And so at times you need to rise up, but at other times one of the best ways to pray is to drop down. And go, Lord, what are you saying? Here. There's the answer. Sometimes it's just a yes, no, hold off, red light, green light, Thursday. Okay, Thursday. <laughs> Depends what question you ask, you know. Why? Because it's God who works in me. God who works in me to perform his will. Lord, what do I do in this situation? Do I turn left? Do I turn right? Boom, there's the answer. Sometimes that's one of the best ways you can pray. Not rising up but dropping down, understanding that God is right here, working in you to act according to his purpose. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. That's why when I encourage you sometimes to put your hand on your heart, I put my hand down here. Come on. Out of my belly flows rivers of living water. Drop down. Drop down. <laughs> it might become part of our church vernacular. Drop down. Yeah, give me 10 push-ups. Now, drop down. And by the way, when I ask you to do push-ups, remember this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. It's my favorite verse as a parent. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God Without fault in a warped and crooked generation. In my Bible translation, they put, you can see the quote marks there because they understand that this is an inference to Deuteronomy. I'll mention that later. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And I will also be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not waste my time and run or labor in vain. Do we stop there? Yeah, let's stop there. 
Do everything without grumbling or arguing. This Paul is drawing here, and this is why having Old Testament knowledge is really important, because as you read the New Testament, you see the inferences all the time. So when you think grumbling and complaining, you're supposed to think of who in the Old Testament? The, old, the Exodus generation, okay? Those in the wilderness who came out, they've been saved, they've been rescued, the Passover land, we've got a great promised land, let's stay together and grumble, grumble, grumble. <gasps> Don't be like them, okay? Don't be like those who are a part of a warped and a crooked generation. Now, that's a quote from the end of Moses' life in Deuteronomy 32, where he says, this old covenant community is going to become warped and crooked sometime into the future. So he's saying to them, don't become like them, but instead become stars that shine in a dark sky. That's basically an inference many of us believe to the last book of, last chapter of Daniel, Daniel 12. It's a prophecy about the last days. Okay, the end times. And he says, my people who share my word will be like those who shine like stars in the heavens. Okay, so these, these things, when, when Paul, it, it's so much in him, the Old Testament, he doesn't have to quote it. It just comes out of him. Okay, and so this thing, he's basically saying, this end time generation, this last, this is you guys. Okay, Philippians, this is you guys shining like stars in that dark place as you hold out the word of life and again what are you doing you're working out your salvation you're letting your light shine okay in that dark place so again this whole theme of doing this together is passing through and then he says this we'll finish with this but verse 17 even if i am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith i am glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should also be glad and rejoice with me. There's a bit of uncertainty in the commentaries as to exactly why Paul is drawing this analogy. It's obviously an Old Testament analogy, the daily morning and evening sacrifices. The priest would bring a lamb and then bread, basically, wine and uh, oil and flour. And then they'd pour wine or fortified drink, actually. It's not even wine, it's like spirits. They'd pour spirits out on top of it. And Paul's saying, this is what my life is like. Like the drink offering that's poured on top. And there's a few different views on this. He could be referring to that picture of Jesus pouring out his life. Because in one of his other letters, he says, I have poured out my life. My life has been poured out like a drink offering. It's like I've just, I'm just tipping to the very end. Until I've got breath in my body, I'm giving my life for people. You know, that whole picture. So he's pouring out his life. It could be that. But then he makes such a deal of it being on, the sacri on your sacrifice, Philippians. And it's kind of, this is how I picture it. The Philippian people, the Philippian church had the sacrifice of their service. They contributed the lamb. They contributed the wheat offering. And Paul came along to say, you know, my job's important. But at the end of the day, in this whole scheme of things, it's just like the cherry on top. My job completes your job. But what you are doing is the main thing. I just come in almost like at the end with as the icing on the top of the cake. It's not finished unless I play my part. But please understand, my part is just a small part of the whole scheme of things. What I do completes what you do. Because this is where partnership of the gospel comes in. We complete one another. And my job, my pouring out part, I'm not the main minister in this Philippian church. 
I might have started it. I might have planted you. You would never exist were it not for me. I might be the father of this work, but I'm not the main thing. What you are doing is the main thing. My job is just to add the little icing on top of the cake and complete what it is that you guys are on about. Maybe that's what he means. Ah, you need me to complete what you are doing. Which brings us back to a verse that I skipped over earlier. I actually didn't read a verse out properly before. In this end bit, Paul is saying, I complete what you are doing. But earlier he said, I want you to complete something for me. And Chad missed that bit, so let's read it again. Verse 1. Therefore, Philippians 2 verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then please do this one thing for me. Make my joy complete. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. It's the first of the three times that the word joy is mentioned in this passage. And it's Paul saying to them, listen, now that you've got everything that you've had from Christ, and even though I've said to you that I pray with joy and I rejoice over you and I rejoice in the Lord always and you saw me rejoicing in the prison when I was there in Philippi, even though I'm a rejoicing person, I need you to know that my joy is not complete unless you do something. Would you please complete my joy? Would you please fill it up is the Greek. It means to fill up to the measure. 90% of my joy I've already got. 95% of my... my, my 98%... Of my joy, I've got, and that's my responsibility. But there's just this one little icing on top of the cake. I want to ask you to please complete my joy for me. Because I don't have complete joy unless, as a partnership, not only am I doing my bit, but you are doing yours. And this is this vulnerable moment here in Paul where of all his focusing them on Jesus, asking them to live a life worthy of him, He's also saying, do you mind just doing something for me? Do you mind making my joy complete by considering these things? Isn't that interesting? His joy was incomplete without them playing their part. You get that? And that's where I kind of, I guess, want to leave it. Or I guess maybe speak a bit personally. I want to do the same to you. And to those of you watching at home. I'm not one that likes to ask people to do things. It's actually one of my weaknesses. But if you have any joy of being united with Christ if his love for you means anything, if your unity with him has made any impact in your life, I just want to ask you to do me a little favour. 
Would you please keep following him? Would you please look to him? And please continue to be like him. Would you please consider others and others' needs above your own? Would you please be willing to relinquish your rights and your sense of privilege at times to serve other people? Would you please consider the role that you have to play as we contend side by side along together and face the challenges that we are going through and that has, we will continue to go through? Would you please continue to look at Jesus? And would you please understand that the sacrifice and service of your faith is the main thing? Would you please embrace humility? In your dealings with others, would you please have the mindset of Jesus? Would you please understand who you are like Jesus did? He understood he was equal with God, as it were. You know, we're not that, but he understood his standing but he was willing to become a servant and to take on that likeness. You know, last month, over 300 people lined the streets of our city with flowers in their hand as a car drove through our streets. And they didn't do that to honour a celebrity. They did that to honour a servant. We did that, not to honour the memory of a monarch, but to honour a real minister that knew what it was to serve family, serve faithfully friends, and serve the frail, serve community, who knew what it was to do what it takes to manifest the character of Christ. Those are the people that earth and heaven truly celebrate. And while they're not always the loudest people because you know there's a lot of loud voices around, they are definitely the ones that get the loudest applause that matters. I want to encourage you, please, to manifest your salvation, to not forget the exhilarating joy of the day that you reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, the fear and trembling that gripped you, and to continue to manifest and work out your salvation. And I ask you to please not be like those who came out of the desert. No, who came out of Egypt and gave voice to bickering and complaining and actually ended up stuck around a place because... Because why? They lost focus of all that God had done for them and what they were moving into, understanding that, yeah... It might be in a desert place right now. It's not in the, it's a, we're in an in-between place. We're not in Egypt and we're not in Canaan. But we're going to keep moving through. And we're going to do it side by side and together. I encourage you to please keep shining like stars as you hold on to the word of life. Please rejoice. Be glad. Be humble and obedient to one voice one tuning fork please choose sacrificial servanthood it is our great high calling to make ourselves low Paul knew his rights remember he was the one that walked out of, he said I'm not leaving this prison 
unless I walk, because I'm a Roman citizen, so he knew his rights. But he also knew when relinquishing privilege was at the benefit of other people. And he wasn't making himself less. Nah. He considered others. That's all, all I say. You understand the difference. Please choose to know Jesus more than anything else. And choose to live a life that really manifests who he is. Both the Jesus, Jesus the servant king. I told you I'm not good at this. Please rejoice with me because I rejoice with you. And the greatest 1% extra joy that I would love is to have you love Jesus and to see Jesus in other people. There is no greater joy. John and Paul both say this. There is no greater joy than seeing my children. I can't say that, but seeing my children walking in the truth. And that is the greatest joy that can bring joy to any leader, any pastor, any parent. Because you guys know that. You know what it's like to see your kids serving God, to see your kids walking in their identity. There is nothing that brings greater joy to your heart. And I want to encourage you, those here in this room, those watching us today, continue to choose joy. I think we can do that together as we contend. Should we? I don't want to have the last say today, Ellie, so I'm going to hand over to you, Chick. Holy. How about those of you at home? It's just fitting for us to finish with a song today. Maybe we can allow God to do some dealing in our hearts, declare his faithfulness, as in a sense we then declare our faithfulness to him. That's a good thing to do. Say, Lord, I declare my faithfulness. I will be faithful to you to the end. Not faithful to me. That's why it's awkward for me. I don't want to talk like that. I'm just trying to be true to the context of that scripture. But to pledge our faithfulness to the one in light of what he has done for us and in light of what he has demonstrated the normal Christian life to look like. Because while Jesus may not be a typical Christian, he is supposed to be a normal Christian. He's as normal a Christian as you can get. And he is the great role model that we choose to follow. You are created in his image. And if you're watching today and you do not know Jesus, you've never met him. You are created in the image of God, whether you know it or not. But without knowing him intimately, you are living far short, as beautiful a life as you may have and as beautiful a person as you may be. You are living far short of your destiny on this earth and definitely of your destiny for eternity because eternal life can only be found in trusting Jesus. And so I want to encourage you today, no matter who you are, if you feel the, 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 the strings of your heart being pulled today, heaven calling you, God himself inviting you into a relationship with him, that is genuine. And it is something that many people, those watching with you, those here in this room, have said yes to. And the invitation to a relationship with God is open to you as well. Acknowledge him today. Just say, Lord, I acknowledge God. I acknowledge that you're real. I acknowledge your existence today. Believe in Jesus. Believe that he is Lord and Savior. That he died for your sin. Died to destroy the wall of barrier between you and God. And begin to cooperate with him. Let your own voice say, 
Jesus is Lord. I don't really even fully understand it, maybe. But Jesus is Lord. And Jesus, I thank you that you save me from the consequence of separation from God. I want a relationship with God today and I accept it. The gift that you offer me in your name. If you do that today, we'd love for you to contact us. And maybe you can sing this song with us and declare God's faithfulness. Because even if you think your journey is only just beginning with God today, the fact is he has been tracking you for a long time. And he has been faithful to tracking you down until you turned around and noticed that he was always already there. Bless you. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.